Hi guys, welcome to Jules and Phoebe, the weekly pop culture and social commentary podcast brought to you by yours truly, Jules and Phoebe. Hey Phoebe. Hey Jules, how are you? I'm good, coming to you live from Dakar, Senegal. Oh my God, I am so jealous. I can even see the sun is like shining on the side of your face where you're recording right now. Yeah, like the weather is absolutely amazing. Um, I still need to acclimatize to it though, because I think we went from like two, three degrees in London to now like 25 to 30 degrees. Oh my gosh. The sun on your face. Yeah, so it's amazing, but it's still like a bit of a shock to the body. Yeah, of course. You're never expecting to actually feel that heat during the winter months as well. And also to go, how long did it take to fly to, to Senegal from London? So we went via Madrid, so a couple of hours to Madrid and then four hours from Madrid to Dakar. That's so crazy because I wouldn't have thought it was that short a flight at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the Um, same time zone as London. mm, Well, I mean, yeah, same with, like, I always get confused with the fact that Portugal is in the same time zone because one of my best friends lives there. But for your body to go from, as you said, two, three degrees to like 25, 26 degrees in the space of eight hours or whatever is wild crazy and then this morning I went for a run and it was mad what's it what's it like there does it compare to any European cities in terms of like what the layout's like or yes I wouldn't compare it to a a European city the city that Dakar does remind me of a lot is Beirut okay I've not been to Beirut either yeah (laughs) and if you haven't been to Beirut there's no reference point but it really does remind me of Beirut and there are a lot of Lebanese people living in Senegal Mm -hmm. so I think the French African cities have like a similar vibe because it also reminds me of Abidjan which is uh, Cote d'Ivoire okay yeah so they're all like similar but doesn't really remind me of any European city but maybe I haven't been to enough European cities (laughs) <laughs> there might be somebody or who's listening and it's like oh yes it reminds me of Lagos in Portugal you know <laughs> I haven't been there <laughs> yeah 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 no fair fair I feel like this year has put it in sharp relief to me how little I have traveled and obviously we've been restricted in where we can and can't go hmm. but I've never felt kind of as much wanderlust before <laughs> as I've been yeah. feeling the last while yeah I was so happy to fly and get away because that's like the first flight that I've taken all year. So yeah, so definitely looking forward to acclimatizing. We're right near the beach, which is awesome. So I'm going to be spending some time there and yes, all good. Nice. You deserve it. Oh my God. I I bloody deserve it. (laughs) I, I, I actually deserve it. How about you? How are you doing? Well, everyone will be really pleased to know that I've submitted all of my assignments. So I am super pleased. (laughs) Thank you. At the risk of using an expletive, I'll just say, finally. So yeah, I am ready to fully lean into like all of the other stuff that I've been not getting the chance to do. But it's funny how the residual anxiety like weighs on your mind. Every time I'm doing something, I keep thinking, you should be studying, you should be doing your assignment. And then I'm like, oh no, they're done. I've I've finished. (laughs) But yeah, so I've been good. I actually... One of the things that I've done in the past week since we last spoke, I attended a really amazing talk that my organization had put together with Sally Krawcheck, who is the founder of Elevest. 
So for those of our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with Elevest, I would really encourage you to, to check it out. But basically, it's a financial company that are centered around getting money in the hands of women. So they help with financial literacy, planning, career coaching, investing and things like this. And so Sally came on and she was kind of talking to a lot of our network as part of our inspiring success model that we've launched. And it was just so fascinating. She's had a really kind of illustrious career on Wall Street. And as she was being introduced, one of our cohort in the organization was calling out her accolades. And then when the mic got passed to her, she basically said, thank you so much for those lovely words. One thing that you did miss out when you were introducing me is that I am the only woman who has been a head of Wall Street firm and been on the front page of the Wall Street Journal twice because I've been fired. And I was just like, wow, you just really, you introduced your I guess, biggest weakness in your first sentence. It was really, really powerful. And so it's been on my mind a lot the past week because I think we talk a lot on this podcast about careers and scarcity mindset and growth mindset and abundance mindset and really pushing yourself forward and ambition and all of these kind of things. And I can imagine that for a lot of people coming towards the end of 2020 when promotions have been put to one side or pay reviews have been put to one side because it's been a a difficult economic environment that's left a negative taste in some people's mouths I just cannot speak highly enough of this woman who I had very limited knowledge of before I listened to the talk but she basically spoke about how there's no real space for imposter syndrome and that for me obviously (laughs) um, was a huge thing you know, I'm very sympathetic about imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the last time I felt imposter syndrome. And a lot of the time, if I walk into a room, I don't necessarily, I'm not as invested in what people think of me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what can lead to imposter syndrome. Worrying about what other people think, thinking you need to do this to get approval from other people or to be worthy of receiving certain opportunities and being in certain rooms. And this isn't really how I feel, but I do acknowledge that imposter syndrome is very real. So I went to a, to a colleague once with a challenge and I'm like, oh, I'm having a challenge with this. And they were saying to me, oh, you just need to change your mindset. You need to be more positive. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm one of the most positive people ever. Like I'm in the top 25% globally of positive people, if not like... <laughs> top 10% of like positive people. So I'm very positive. And at the time I really needed specific guidance and advice. So sometimes when people are very confident and bullish about their own abilities and they're not necessarily experiencing imposter syndrome themselves, it's like, oh, there's no room for this. Yes, there is no room for it if you want to be successful, but you have to give people the tools to overcome things like imposter syndrome or any other insecurity that they're experiencing. So that's really my challenge. Like when things are not actually worked through and I'm sure there are varying degrees of imposter syndrome. Some people are experiencing imposter syndrome, but they will still walk in the door, sit down, own the room, push through and do what they need to do. Some people are crippled by it. And that's where the challenge is, right? If they can't even walk into that room. Mm -hmm. And so all those successful 
people who are just like killing it and they're like, oh, there's no room for it. That doesn't really help the people that actually need some specific tools on how to manage it. I actually could not agree with you more because, you know, it's all well and good saying, well, I just don't let myself get bothered by it. I very much so do. Um, now, the one thing that she said to kind of elaborate on that, which I thought was was really really helpful or really useful is one thing that I do know about myself and I can say about myself quite openly is that I know I'm a hard worker and I know that I'll put the graft in if I don't know how to do something and so what Sally then went on to say is you know she referenced Michelle Obama and she said you know Michelle Obama's book she talks about when you get a seat at the table with all of those smart people you do start to realize that actually they're not that smart and the key part there is they're not that smart really means they're not that much smarter than you. And so what Sally basically said at that point was what you need to do is shift your attitude so that when it happens that you're in this room or you're at this table and you think, I'm not totally sure what we're talking about, your attitude needs to be, but I can learn and I'm going to go away and I'm going to learn and I'm going to come back because unless you're also dealing with a lot of people that have equal amounts of scarcity mindset, most people are going to be like, oh, great, Juliet, I'm glad you're on my level now. I just wanted to expand on that, X, Y, Z, A, B, C, whatever. So I think for me, what I'm trying to, or I'm going to try and bring into 2021 with me is, you know, it's flippant of me to be like, well, I'm just going to get rid of my imposter syndrome. But what I am going to do is work on my, I can learn attitude because that is something that I know that I can do. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really what separates people. People who think that, okay, there's a really finite amount of learning that you can do. And then people that believe that, wow, this learning and development, it's endless. And it's really what I make of it. Because when you know that, you know, I can fall on my face, but I'm going to get back up and then I'm going to be able to succeed. And I've talked about this book on the podcast before, but there's a book called Grit, Yes, summarizes. Did she bring it up in her talk? No, um, it's just I remember you bringing it up way back when we kind of first started the podcast. Yeah, it talks about how do you improve your grit and your resilience? And then from a leadership perspective, how do you cultivate this growth mindset in your teams? As a parent, how do you parent for grit? Like, how do you still push your children and challenge your children, but still affirm them and give them the confidence that they need to know Mm -hmm. that they can learn, they can grow and they can overcome the challenges in front of them. And so it's such a well-rounded book. And when I think about like starting running this year and I, I must sound so geeky to the people that listen to this podcast, but I did pull my 2019 data and then the 2020 data so how much did I run in 2019 and how much have I run in 2020 right did I tell you no please go on okay so in 2019 I ran 157 kilometers okay and then you did that (laughs) yeah and then by the time I pulled out this data I had done like 860 kilometers wow in 2020 and that's a 400% yeah, improvement. Like I've run 400% more miles in 2020 than I did in 2019. How did that happen? Mm-hmm. So people now who have just known me for a short time are like, oh, wow, like how long have you been running? Like you're so good at running. I'm like, no, dude, like 
<laughs> I was not not running at all. I was doing like the bare minimum. And at the time I was reading the I was reading this book Grit by Angela Duckworth. And in the book it was saying that you need in order for you to improve in anything, you need periods of concentrated work where you go outside of your comfort zone. So you could always go on your little jogs, but you're not going to improve because you're not having really concentrated periods of hard work where you're going out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And that's what's required to improve. And then if you do that on a consistent basis, that's what's going to make you improve. So it's very funny with running now because I don't look at running as, I feel like running today, so I'm going to run today. Mm -hmm. Like I do it whether I feel like it or whether I don't feel like it. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at the, the the chart and you're like, oh my God, I've run, this is mad. Now I'm trying to get, I'm getting to a, a, my goal before the end of the year is to run a thousand kilometers. Nice. So that's what I'm working towards now for December. So I've, I've got to do 150 kilometers in December, but that's fine. But what that has taught me is that discipline, that consistency, that knowing that, yeah, you literally fall. I mean, I've talked about it on the podcast where I literally <laughs> fell. <laughs> and got up um, and all these runs that have not been easy some of them have been really really fun but it's such a metaphor for life and as soon as people are out of school or out of like an institution and they're on their own it's so hard to continue on that journey mm -hmm. um, but it's really it's really fundamental so yes there is no room for imposter syndrome but the fact is some people do have it and it's like how do you create an environment that allows you to thrive and overcome it Totally. And I think as well, just to build on that a little bit more, it sounds a bit antithetical um, when I say that I have imposter syndrome. I really believe that I deserve and I'm worthy of good things. So when I think about like when I'm with my husband and we're out walking on um, Hampstead Heath or whatever, and I see like a really nice car or a really nice house or whatever it is, I'm like, yeah, I deserve that. And I'm going to work for it. And I will have it for myself. And I guess my challenge is to the Jules and Phoebe listeners, because I know that I know a lot about like what our demographic looks like. We know that you guys are also ambitious and career driven and, you know, educated and young men and women who are on their grind, basically. What is the thing that you know about yourself, regardless of whatever negativity you hear about yourself? What do you know positively is inherently one of your traits because I really want to touch on this again next week because it, it is really fascinating to me if you can separate out the noise of my imposter syndrome and think I know I'm a hard worker and I know I deserve good things how much more powerful are those statements than I'm a bit nervous about going into this room because what if people know more than me Absolutely. I think it's so important to find out um, I think it was like you know Bella was talking about it on our podcast the other day where she was saying you know what is your superpower what are those things about you that are different to everybody else and I just think that you have to use those as your anchors right so me people say to me oh you have I have a growth mindset right I've been told that about myself and I know that about myself and so when I've been in situations that aren't going well like I, I literally left London I went to Nigeria to go work for a startup mm -hmm. and then I came back two years later and that was not a success I find a lot of the time when people have that kind of experience or something doesn't go well 
they feel like I'm never going to have that opportunity again. This is my last chance, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that is such a crippling thought. So I was speaking to um, one of the girls that I mentor and she was interviewing for an amazing role and, um, you know, 20 years old, interviewing for this amazing role, wants it really badly and is quite anxious about it. You know, and I was speaking to her and I was like, if you get this amazing, if you don't get this, it doesn't matter. Like they need you more than you need them. Mm-hmm. Like you're amazing. You've done ABC and you're 20 years old. You've got your whole life ahead of you. So don't put so much pressure on yourself where you feel you can't make mistakes. Or if you don't get this, another opportunity will not come along. There is plenty of fish in the sea when it comes to opportunities. And I think that's something that people have to realize like you lose a job you will find a job eventually you lose a relationship you will find a better person eventually and people just don't believe that no they really don't and obviously it's a lot of work to override that I had a conversation with my uh one of my friends recently and you know I full disclosure, did not really work that hard in university. I liked university. I had a good time, but I was there. I was doing an arts degree. I was, you know, I was messing around for a lot of it. Working hard and not working hard, like from a course perspective or from a from a module perspective is one thing. But sometimes you see people coming out of university and whether or not they got a first or they got an amazing degree, like what they've also done is they've met so many people they've networked they they have really tremendous lived experience which that's what I I I did like my networking at university was a (laughs) one um so I networked a lot and I met a lot of people and I thought that was what I got out of university my friend and I were talking about it I was saying you know I absolutely didn't I had no vision I thought when I was in university that I was going to be marrying my university boyfriend that was it you know I was (laughs) I was sorted And so in terms of my own ambition, I hadn't accessed that. And so I guess the point that I'm trying to make here is that if you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, I don't know what my USP is and I don't know what my fundamental positive thing is that I believe about myself. It is absolutely not too late to start because I wrote a piece on LinkedIn that I shared recently, which was, you know, the top five things that I've learned from a year of producing the podcast. Um, And I shared it and Juliet shared it. And Jules got almost 30 more likes on my article than I did by virtue of your network, right? And the network that you've cultivated and the engagement that you've cultivated. And there was a real kind of flat moment for me when I saw that because I was thinking, I, I just haven't put the work in. I don't have all of those connections at this point. I haven't cultivated them. I haven't grown them. But it's also not too late for me to do so. I will do so. I just didn't do it as early as you did, right? Yeah. And it's a bit two roads diverged in a yellow wood here. You can really go down the path of being like, well, I haven't done it, so I can't do it, so I won't do it, versus, all right, it's going to take me a little bit longer maybe, or maybe I'm only coming to this now, but I can ask people to share my content. I can ask people to listen to my podcast or read my article or share my profile. Absolutely. Just go for it. 2021 is the year of this now. 
I ended up closing the gap a bit. And obviously, we all know that likes aren't currency, whatever. But it was very indicative to me of actually having a network is very important. And connecting with people and asking for help are vital components of you growing your profile. And for anyone who's listening and is thinking, well, I don't need a profile, I work in XYZ. Actually, everyone needs a profile. And that's what we should be working towards. Everyone needs a profile. And I think in terms of understanding your value and the things that you bring to the table, not I work for this company, that company was built by someone else, right? And the way things are going, we can all lose our companies, right? So you have to have something really solid about yourself that you know that you are famous for, that everybody knows Phoebe's great at this. Everybody knows Jules is great at that. Mm -hmm. And if they don't know, I can explain it in a line and they get it, it resonates with people. That's so important in this day and age. And I think um, it's one of my key lessons from the year because opportunities come and go and you need to be very, you need to have a lot of clarity about yourself. The other thing that I find so vital, I actually think I may have mentioned this on the, the podcast with Bella, that you can end up spending a lot of your 20s because that's when you get your first jobs and all the rest of it, waiting to be noticed and you're thinking, well, I'm plugging away at this. I'm doing a good job. I, I know that I'm working hard. So surely someone is going to notice me shortly. And it's not the case. It's yeah. not the case. And you have to be prepared to make a bit of noise about yourself. Mm-hmm. And I would say as well, like step away from the working hard thing. Like working hard is great, but this is not a production line. Like you're not in a factory. Everyone is working hard. What are you doing to show that you deserve to be at the next level? Mm -hmm. I think that's really, really crucial. If you want to have any kind of independence in your life, it can't just be Jules is a hard worker. If you're the hardest worker on that team, it's very difficult. Like physically, you have to do the labor. You have to physically, you're doing this great work. It's very difficult for somebody to see you in a strategic position where you can inspire people to get the work done rather than just doing the work yourself I think whether you're on the corporate grind or whether it's like your own personal business like even us you know running this podcast we can't physically do every Mm -hmm. piece of work to get the podcast done there has to be a level of trust and a level of leadership to get everything done you know so um, I think that's why I think people really make a big mistake like if you're a hard worker no one cares Honestly, this is it. And it's a hard truth. But if you die at work, they will still recruit for your replacement. And, you know, I, that's that's not a pleasant thing to hear because some people make work their life. But again, I've mentioned this on the podcast. My brothers-in-law both had children this year with their partners, with my sisters-in-law. And um, obviously with COVID being what it is, everything has gone to a halt. We haven't seen any... We haven't seen those kids properly. So my husband and I were talking about trying to get to Spain to see his brother and his wife and their nephew. And we were saying it to my mother-in-law as well. Like, listen, what about if we went early next year when things have calmed down, when people can travel, when the vaccines are out? And she goes, you know, I'm not sure I can get the time off work. And it is that mindset of being like, you can get the time off work because actually you haven't had a holiday this year you're a nurse, you're working on the front line, you are actually allowed to say, I'm going to take some time to see my grandchild. 
but you're waiting for permission for people who you do not need to ask for permission from to live your life. Bang on. <laughs> Someone said this to me once and I never knew it was a popular phrase, but they said, um, sometimes you need to ask for forgiveness, not for permission. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this phrase is very yes. popular, but I heard it like a year ago and I was like, oh my God, you're so right. And they were like, it's a very popular phrase, Jules. <laughs> I did not make that up. But yeah, and I think it's a journey. And I think especially if someone's older, it's very difficult for them to say, it's my statutory right. I'm going away. Totally. And also when you make that point about, you know, this asking for forgiveness, not for permission, I think a lot of the time, if you push yourself out of your comfort zone, you'll find you don't even need to ask for forgiveness. You've built it up so much in your head that you're like, well, this is how I'll justify it if if someone says something. If someone's annoyed at me for taking that day off, then I'm just going to explain, well, it was X, Y, Z reason. 95% of the time, no one is going to even ask you. Yeah, and you're so right, because um, basically I used to over-explain everything. So if I couldn't do something, I'd say, oh, sorry, can't do it. This is what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then I said to myself, no, if you can't do something, just say, sorry, can't do it. If you need the time, I need the time. And then I stopped explaining. And mm-hmm. I noticed a lot of the time I would have to, like, delete the explanations, like, for my text and stuff. I just stopped explaining myself. And mm-hmm. nobody ever asked me why. Yeah. You wrap yourself in not thinking, oh, my gosh. I need to do this for this person, but I can't do it. And this is why I can't do it. And I have to let them know. And then you say to them, I can't do this. You present an alternative. No one asks you, why can't you do it? Mm-hmm. No, no one is bothered. No one is bothered. And also, it's really important because what you found is that you have spent the energy worrying about it when you could have been doing something else. Yeah. And what people will say to you is like, oh, yeah, I did this for you. That I didn't ask you to do it. Mm-hmm. That's what people will say to you. I think that is like a toxic trait, actually. Yeah. And I saw it on, I saw a really good meme about this. And it was Elisa and Bart Simpson. And like Bart had fallen on the floor. And like, I think Lisa was putting a plaster on his knee. And then the caption was, my toxic trait is doing things for people that they wouldn't do for me. Yes. And I was like, that is my toxic trait. There's just no point. It's a waste of energy. And I think that sort of links into that. I can't get the time off work. But you can. You can get the time off work. You can get the time off work. And listen, there's also, you know, we're absolutely firing the proverbs or the adages at you guys today. One of the ones that I've always heard is if you know better, do better. And so when we're talking about this, we're not saying that, you know, if it's in your nature and it is in mine, I do my very best to remember the anniversaries, the birthdays, the celebrations, whatever. So I will send cards and I will send a flower, flowers, excuse me, or I'll send a text. And no one is making the argument to not do those things, even though my mom is always like, stop, they don't deserve it. (laughs) But that's in my nature. So I'm going to continue doing it. But what I will stop doing is actually being hurt when it doesn't get reciprocated because these people are telling you, listen, that's not my love language. I enjoy receiving it, but I don't do it. And that's just the end of it. Yeah, that's really key. Really um, try to understand a bit more about the people around you. Mm -hmm. Try to understand a bit more about yourself, what makes you happy, where you want to be, because life is really short. And try and understand a bit more about the people that can help you get there and invest in those relationships. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm similar to you in the sense that I do try to be attentive. I do try to be caring, make time for my friends. And a lot of the time they don't really make the time back. (laughs) 
Well, then when they do, suddenly it's like clicking fingers. Excuse me, I'm making the time for you back. And you're not oh, gonna yeah. Oh, exactly. Like somebody who has not had a coffee with me in 10 years decided that we needed to meet up. And then I think I wasn't getting back to them fast enough. And they were like, yeah, make sure you get back to me this week. Don't forget. And I completely flipped. I was so triggered by it. Because I'm like, dude, I've been carrying this friendship for 10 years. But to avoid sort of being triggered by these things, I just do things because I want to do them without any expectation. Mm-hmm. And then if, it, if, the, if things become so imbalanced, you just walk away. Yes, absolutely. And I think that this kind of ties onto the, the, the second part that I wanted to talk about today. Because when we're talking about all of these things in your career and its longevity and where you see yourself and your ambition – kind of fundamental to all of this is being free to talk about your your grind and your efforts and not do this thing of of downplaying your own achievements and your own strengths and so actually what I wanted to talk about was JLo's new skincare line so I don't know if you've been following this at all I haven't seen anything about this so you can let me know what's up okay so JLo is obviously gorgeous fantastic performance at the Super Bowl like she's stunning she does it all and I think she does a lot of it very well but she has recently launched her own skincare line so a couple of basics you know face wash moisturizer mask this kind of thing and so because she is launching this skincare she has been on the press circuit for it and people are asking her you know what made you decide to do this And she's got the fairly standard response of, oh, well, people have always been asking me about my skin. And J-Lo looks great. I'm not going to do as she looks great for her age. She is gorgeous. She looks fantastic. But what I wanted to talk about today was the bit at the end of that sentence when J-Lo starts talking about, well, I've never done Botox because I'm just not that person. So it's been olive oil, for example, is one of the ingredients that she's been touting as like her skin lifesaver. And I just felt like there's so many things here, right? But the top two slash three. Firstly, who is that person? When you say I'm not that person, what do you think the person who uses Botox is? Very conscious that I myself use Botox, so it sounds like I'm being a bit defensive here. Secondly, you've just launched this skincare line. So there's no way that you have the skin that you are claiming to have by virtue of skincare that has only just launched. You've obviously not been using it up until now. Thirdly, why do we, and I could say why do we as women, but why do we as a whole, but why do we feel the need that we have to only, the beauty or effort only counts, like aesthetics, let's say, or success only counts when you haven't worked for it. Everything's always got to be like, oh, it fell into my lap. I just look like this. Yeah, and I think it's, um, and it all does go back to Grit by Angela Duckworth, because people love to think that someone is a natural. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, she's a naturally great athlete. She's naturally beautiful. She's naturally smart. I don't know why. Something in human nature makes us gravitate towards that. I mean, J-Lo is beautiful she looks like she's had a couple of treatments to me I don't think it's just olive oil that's keeping someone that's nearly 60 looking the way that she does totally but it's capitalism right she needs to sell her she needs to but JLo at one point insured her bum for like millions of dollars Mm -hmm. right so she's not going to say to you wow Phoebe this 
costs me a million dollars a year, which I'm sure that it does. I'm sure it costs mm-hmm. her a million at least. There's been a lot of things going around in terms of like how much LeBron spends to take care of himself. He spends right. millions on like his nutrition, taking care of his body, making sure that he could perform at the level that he does. Mm-hmm. Tom Brady, similar. Uh, all these top athletes, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of information on how much they've got to take care of themselves to keep themselves competitive. And it's similar with music, right? J-Lo is competing against 20-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 18-year-olds. She's competing against Ariana Grande. Mm -hmm. It's not olive oil, baby. Let us know what it is. It's not olive oil. It's not olive oil because you know what? Ariana Grande is getting Botox because she's in her (laughs) mid-20s. Like, I'm not saying that you need Botox in your mid-20s, but if you're living your life in the public eye, there is no way that you haven't had, at the very least, Ariana Grande's had a nose job. I'm pretty sure J-Lo has also had a nose job. Like, I don't expect you to to tell me every procedure that you've had done because you have your right to privacy. But there's a level of authenticity, right? And you spoke about this on our last episode, that authenticity is the new currency. People need to be able to buy into how real you are. And if you're telling me this is what I look like because of my olive oil, but that's why people love Cardi B, because Cardi B said, I got my teeth done, I got my boobs done, I got my bum done. Like, that's mm-hmm. why Cardi always wins. In terms of the age of the internet, she is the undefeated mm-hmm. champion for her generation because she's so, and Rihanna is another person that is very transparent. And so when mm-hmm. you told me about this new skincare line that JLo's doing, it made me think about like Fenty Beauty and right. how like Rihanna's doing all of her stuff. But also there's a generational thing here because J-Lo is over 50. Mm -hmm. So she's not about that, just letting it all hang out life. No. And do you know what? I'm sure that there are untold pressures with living your life in the public eye. I, you know, I'm not trying to contradict myself here. I want my celebrities to look perfect because, as you said, they've got the nutritionist, they've got the personal trainers, they've got hair and beauty, they've got a facialist on speed dial. They have the resources that I cannot afford for myself. Like, I'm at home waxing my own armpits. Of course, J-Lo and I do not look the same. And what I feel like is that there's this whole, quote unquote, I'm not like other girls mentality, right? So other people might be getting Botox. I don't. I just use this because I care, but I don't care that much. I just use olive oil. I just use olive oil. Uh, top tip for everyone who might be listening and don't know, olive oil is super comedogenic. So please do not use olive oil on your face. What does that mean? Comedogenic means that it blocks your pores. So there, oh, are, right, some, yeah. there are some oils that are good that are like basically almost water soluble that you can use on your face, like as a moisturizer or as a cleanser, or whatever. Jojoba oil is one. Castor oil is not. Olive oil is another. Coconut oil is a huge comedogenic. And people are like putting this on their face being like, yeah, it's such a good moisturizer. No, it is not. It is just sitting on your skin and it is blocking your pores and it will probably give you cystic acne. So just that's as a, an aside to everything else that JLo is saying. I think that there's like an obsession with the facade of low maintenance. Mm-hmm. And there's an obsession with, I'm so chilled, I'm relaxed. <laughs> I woke up like this. And the fact is, when I wake up, 
you know all about it because I do not even look like the way I, I've not worn makeup since March and I still look better now than I did when I woke up because I've had a shower and I've washed my face and I've put my moisturizer on um and I've also had Botox like again it's a personal choice right I'm not saying that you have to you won't age well unless you have it but let's stop this whole kind of the proliferation of this completely unattainable natural look most mm. Caucasian women are not going to have full lips without filler. Most people do not have totally straight, symmetrical noses without some kind of surgical intervention. And you're certainly not having completely line-free skin at 50-plus years old without some Botox. Most people. Obviously, some people, like, have the genes. It's such a challenge when I think about, because I look at this JLo thing and I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Because I know that JLo is spending a lot of money mm. to take care of herself. And if it's not Botox, then it's very rare ingredients from the Himalayas that mm. is being kept at a certain temperature and couriered right. to her house. Like, I know it's not olive oil that we could all buy, right? Right. Um, and it's the lasers oh, and it's the yeah. peels and it's all of the rest of it as well, which also counts. Which also counts, right? So, and that's fine. And I, I would prefer for people to be transparent about it because I think that it's just like Photoshop. Like, just be transparent. Like, this picture was Photoshopped because for people who are consuming this media, and I mean, I don't think 12-year-olds are following JLo because she's not that cool anymore. Um, but for people that are just consuming celebrity, it just sets up such unrealistic standards of beauty for people. Mm-hmm. And so that's the challenge, but that is capitalism. Yeah. All it is, is I'm natural. You could have this too. You could be a billionaire. You could be 50 with flawless skin and abs and a big bum. And you can have three children and your tits can sit right up. You can have it. You just need this product from me. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what she's doing. You know, Years ago, before we started doing this podcast, when you and I were working together, I remember saying something to you, something that I was struggling with. I wish I could remember what it was exactly. But I came to you and I said, oh, God, I'm so busy. I just feel like I'm really struggling to get it done. And I quipped at the end, but I suppose we've got the same amount of hours in a day as Beyonce. And you said, no, you don't. You absolutely do not. You are getting up, you are running a household, you're commuting to and from work, you're working a long day, you're training for a marathon, you're doing a food shop, you're putting on the wash, you're trying to have dinner with your husband, you're maintaining a relationship with your in-laws, you're maintaining a relationship with your own family, you're trying to see your friends. You know, your hour is not the same as Beyonce's hour, your day is not the same as Beyonce's day. And it really resonated with me because that is something that you see on social media all the time. We've all got the same 24 hours. What are you going to do with yours? And it's fundamentally untrue. And when you talk about you could look like this if you buy this, it is just an exacerbation of that same falseness, basically. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really the key message, right? You do not have the same hours as Beyonce. Like, it's probably a ratio of one to 10, because she's got an army of people that Mm -hmm. can handle things. And I think that that's what sets so many of us up for failure, because 
you look at people and you just see the veneer and you don't see the army of people behind Mm. them. You don't see the hours of work that they have put in to get to that point. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think it can it can end up being really toxic if people don't put things into context and not everybody can. On a base level, I just do not think that celebrity curated skincare lines or products as a whole are where it's at. Do you know where it's at? The ordinary is where it's at. I don't know if you've tried The Ordinary, but I've recently started using it and it's absolutely where it is at. I was like, oh my God, A, the price range, Mm -hmm. because I'm at that point now where I'm getting really tempted. I'm on Netta Porter and I'm looking at this lady, Barbara. What's Barbara's surname? It's not Storm, is it? Yes, this lady. Oh, I know my skincare. (laughs) I'm so tempted by Barbara. But then I said, you know what, no, no jewels, like fix up. So my husband tried the ordinary out. And then I was like, okay, you know what, let me give it a go. And absolutely perfect. And what I like about the ordinary is that the, obviously they've got other brands as well. The company sells other brands. You can buy more expensive products if you like. But the main sort of entry level brand, it's really close to the manufacturing costs. Mm-hmm. So they do make a profit on it, but it's not like obscene. And it's so ingredients led that you actually start to understand what is this ingredients and what is the benefit that this is going to give me. So I've really started to enjoy using The Ordinary. Your point there has solidified my point, right? If I'm buying skincare, I want it to be from people who actually work in that realm full time. Again, I've got nothing but respect for JLo, but she is an actress, singer, author, podcaster like whatever you're doing people people want to look like JLo I look at JLo and I'm like damn like I think I was even following her on Instagram for a while but then I just had to unfollow her because there wasn't really much going on there but um JLo's brand is so powerful especially being like she's still the hottest Latina there is. I don't think there are many like Latina women so it is empowering for, for for her to branch out into like Mm. other industries because you'll only see JLo it's only JLo that investors would trust to even make this move there isn't another Latina woman that's global totally I mean I think that her and A-Rod were literally in meetings about like potentially buying a baseball team I remember reading that like a few months ago so one thing you cannot fault is the hustle but if there was one kind of fundamental message that I was hoping to convey from that JLo story, right? It's that try and take those things with a pinch of salt because I know people who are like, oh my God, she looks just so incredible for her age. And she does. She looks incredible full stop. But she works hard, guys. But like, she works hard. She works hard. Like JLo's fitness grind, like JLo trains like she's in the military. So Mm -hmm. she actually does physically put that work in. She's an incredibly disciplined woman when it comes to taking care of like her physique. And that's also another challenge. You can't look at someone and say, oh, I want what they have. You can't look at Phoebe and say, oh, I want what she has, but you can't put in the work. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry to be a vibe killer because I've been saying it on episodes, (laughs) but it's like, you can't be on the couch. Mm -hmm. Get off the couch. Yeah. And well, and also like, not it doesn't have to be about your physical fitness right like it also just has to be like you can maybe have a better chance of looking like JLo but guess what she doesn't drink 
She doesn't eat sugar. She's got someone preparing her meals for her. And I am not going to do that. I'm going to have my first Baileys of the year tonight. And I said it to my husband at 20 past seven this morning when we were walking on Hampstead Heath. Someone called their dog and their dog was called Baileys. Bailey, excuse me, obviously wasn't called Baileys. (laughs) Someone called their dog and their dog was called Bailey. And I was like, I'm going to get Baileys today. I'm gonna have a yeah, glass of this evening. I need I need a Bailey's. That's such a good idea. Such um, a good idea. But guys, I just want to like thank everyone that supports our podcast and like listens to our podcast. We saw our Spotify wrap up and you know our podcast has been listened to in over 30 countries this year. And for a baby podcast like us, that's such an amazing result. I just want to thank you, Phoebe, for all your hard work. To be working full time, like you said, all the stuff you have to manage and on top of it, doing an MBA out here producing this weekly content, like it's for me, I'm just so grateful to have you as a partner. And so, yeah, I just wanted to take the time to thank you. Thank you. And right back at you. I feel like it's so crazy. Again, thank you so much to all of our listeners. But we've literally gone from being in a studio, like paying to be in a studio every two weeks. You know, when Jules talks about that growth mindset, it really is not something that she just says when lockdown started it was like cool time to get our microphones now we're recording from home how can we familiarize ourselves with this software like how can we make it work and you know my knowledge of podcasting was was absolutely zero and so Juliet does a lot of the heavy lifting like we we do have a team we're really fortunate we have Lauren who helps with our social media and we have Chelsea who helps with our editing so thank you so much to you girls as well because we really we couldn't do it without you but Jules does so much of the heavy lifting here (laughs) and so I feel like from my perspective you know we would not be where we're at we would not be finishing out our first full year of the podcast having moved to as you said a weekly podcast were it not for for that grit <laughs> Ooh, that that grit no but it's something that I enjoy right and I think without everybody else doing their part it would be so much harder and so a lot of people do approach me and say they want to start a podcast and I think the key ingredients for a podcast is just working with people that are equally invested in delivering that content whatever your time frame is just work with people that are equally invested in making it happen and make sure that you have got open lines of communication because there's so much that people are managing Mm -hmm. you know we're living through a global pandemic right now and Phoebe and I have been producing this weekly content (laughs) huge huge commitment right so I think if you are interested in starting a podcast go for it now's the time and then if you are looking for a partner just make sure they are equally as invested that you guys Mm -hmm. respect each other you communicate and then the sky's the limit really totally and you know as a final reminder I really do mean this please if you've listened to this episode think about what your superpower is think about what your USP is and let us know because I really want to revisit this next week and I want to hear about what people are identifying Mm -hmm. let 2021 be the year of abundance and let's all help one another to to manifest I agree with Phoebe like we're so keen to like build up this community like let's support each other let's shout about what we're good at and just find ways that we can just help each other achieve our goals. Mm -hmm. Totally. Guys, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye.